My name is Ashley, and this is Let's Talk Dispatch. I do. You're going to do it. Do it really well. And I believe the world needs more dispatchers. In the mud, blood, and beer. years that I'm not working Fourth of July. So on this show, with the help of my guests, we will educate, empower, and support the heroes behind the headset. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode here at Let's Talk Dispatch with me, the Raspy Dispatcher. Um, it's always weird when I'm recording these intros because I'm I'm interviewing my guests before the air date so I can get these episodes to you guys um, and not miss a week. And so at this time of the recording, we're about a week, maybe a week and a half into January of 2023. And I just feel like it's crazy. Like, you know, they always say like time flies and can't believe it's X year or, but I mean, it's been a wild couple of years uh, for the world in general. And I think especially for first responders and the amount of um, adapting and changing of protocols and things of that nature that's gone on out in the field, um, as well as in our comm centers. I remember first dispatching during COVID um, and having to be aware of which uh, hubs, stations, my units were coming out of because we weren't cross-dispatching. We were trying to limit cross-dispatching our units from different stations to try to, uh, you know, uh, decrease uh, the spread and the the potential of being exposed to COVID. Um, So it's been a wild, wild, wild time for first responders and dispatchers. And hopefully going into 2023, uh, we're a little more grounded and uh, kind to ourselves and remind ourselves uh, that even when we're thinking of making all these changes and all of these uh, commitments to the new year, new us, um, you know, we're still the same us and and who you were in 2022 is amazing. Um, and we can always continue to get better uh, regardless of it being January of a new year. Uh, with that all being said, my guest today is Angela. She has spent 18 years uh, in the dispatching world working in the field, wearing many hats, uh, from dispatcher to supervisor to CIT trainer um, and being a force in her peer support teams. Now she is a licensed professional counselor and a PhD candidate, and her dissertation focus is on 911 dispatchers and compassion fatigue. So with all that being said, I'm going to go ahead and bring Angela on so we can hear more about her journey. Hi, Angela. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I am well. I am well. I'm, like I said, I'm before we got on here, so I'm super excited um, about this episode. Um, I'm always really interested to see how uh, dispatching has kind of helped folks get into different careers, passions, and hobbies, you know, outside of the comm center floor. So I'm, I'm, I'm so happy we're able to get uh, this set up. Me too. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into public safety and that journey. Uh, Okay. So it was a long time ago. (laughs) I started out as a paramedic and quickly, this was way back when fire and EMS was two separate departments Mm. and then EMS ran out of the hospital parking lot in a trailer. Oh, wow. (laughs) 
date myself a little bit. So, but I quickly realized that although I like helping other people and doing that, it was a little too up close and personal for me. Mm. Yeah. So I wanted to stay in public safety in some way. So the agency, the city where I was, they were hiring for dispatchers. So I said, well, let me see if I can go ahead and switch over and do that. So I went to the radio room and I loved it. Absolutely <laughs> loved it. So I was like, okay, this is it right here. Mm-hmm. So I stayed there for a couple of years and then I had to move back home. And I was like, well, I don't want to change. I want to do keep doing what I was doing because I love dispatch. So I interviewed and I went in because they knew that I was coming from another agency and I passed all the background and all that, you know, mm-hmm. pre-stuff that you have to do. And he got the in-person interview and he gave me a bolo. He said, read this bolo. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, so I read the bolo and he's like, I want to hire you now. And everybody's like, stop. She's got to finish paperwork. <laughs> so I went there and I ended up staying there for about 16 years. So it's about 18 and a half total that I was in dispatch. Mm-hmm. And then on in, and then I was like, okay, I really wanted to see some type of progression. So that's when I applied for supervisor. And also around that time is when I started experiencing my own issues with mental health, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know it was what it was at the time. Mm -hmm. And I said, I really can't work the radio anymore or answer the phone. I have to get off. So the only way for us to do that was to become a supervisor. Hmm. And also, once you become a supervisor in my agency, you had to go to night shift automatically. Mm-hmm. So five years of nights, I said, I got to go. I said, I can't. Go. I can't. Mm-hmm. Five years of nights. And so in between that time, I became involved with the crisis intervention team, mm-hmm. which really introduced me to mental health. So that's where this offshoot towards mental health began. Hmm. And so your, your crisis intervention team, what, what did that look like for your guys' agency? We, I became a trainer and okay. for the CIT team and they would have their core trainers for the um, police officers. Hmm. And then we actually had an in-house training for dispatchers. Okay. That's very cool. Yeah, when it first began, we would include the dispatchers in with everybody else. But then due to staffing, we started switching over to an in-house training for them. Mm, Okay. Because I know, I mean, you know, in the world of policing and first responders in general, there's definitely um, in our comm centers a big push to have alternate teams and responses and methods to assist folks who are in crisis, a mental health crisis. Mm -hmm. So it's, I always find it interesting to hear how other departments are implementing these kind of teams. So I think it happens uh, more quickly at larger departments and it trickles down a little bit to the smaller ones. Um, So did you guys dispatch like a whole separate team or was it just extra training so you guys would be able to assist better over the phone or kind of what was well, your system like? Yeah. For the dispatchers, it was extra training. And this was before we had sort of transitioned to getting everybody trained. Mm. 
if we took a call that was an individual with a mental health crisis, then that dispatcher would take over that call if they could. Mm-hmm. And then that's how it was handled. Interesting. That's very cool. I like that a lot. Um, what would you say it was like for you in the beginning of your career? Like what, what about this job was like, ah, this is it. I can do this. I love this stuff. Before we continue, we wanted to take a moment to thank our partners at Prepared. You can learn more about the awesome support and technology Prepared provides to first responders by heading to prepared911.com. Partners like Prepared help to continue our mission of supporting, empowering, and educating the heroes under the headset. You can learn more about our resources and partnerships by heading to theraspydispatcher.com. Now let's get back to the show. So when I came to the agency that was at the longest, so I started August of 2001. Mm-hmm. And so 9-11 happened. Wow. And it was busy. It was that fast paced. The day is never the same as the day before. Wow. I like that transition and being able to talk to people in crisis and to help them. Mm-hmm. And also working the radio because we were cross trained in both. Mm-hmm call taking and dispatch. And, you know, some dispatchers gravitated towards fire and EMS and then mm-hmm. some towards PD. I was definitely PD. Yeah. Interesting. It, it was busy. <laughs> and, you know, I, I liked, we could tell, who else can tell an officer what to do besides their chain of command, right? That is true. <laughs> it's like dispatcher, then chain of command. <laughs> Like, don't make me call the sergeant. Don't give me that attitude. <laughs> exactly. Are you refusing this call? 10-9? Was that attitude I heard? Reset, oh, reset yourself, sir. Or ma'am. <laughs> don't make me have you do traffic control out in the rain all day. Right. Paper call, paper call, paper call. Yep. <laughs> so that was um, it for me. It was just the helping others in that excitement. Uh, everything that came in and then at the end of September we had a line of duty death Mm. and I was able to see that too how everybody in the agency came together as a team Mm -hmm. and really helped during that time so that's why I like to it's just that whole team atmosphere of everybody like pitching in getting the job done Mm -hmm. when something happens that's awesome. Yeah. You know, I say all the time in, in general and on this podcast, I don't think I could do fire or EMS dispatching. Like it just does not sound fun for me. <laughs> like um, when I hear folks like getting people to do CPR and um, you know, you're trying to calm, like it's just a level, different level of frantic that mm-hmm. um, for the folks who do deal with that on a daily basis, like, kudos to you. I mean, your ability to get someone to pull their loved one down onto the floor and start doing CPR. I mean, it's, it's a talent that I don't ever want to test if I have the capability of doing. Um, so I would imagine going from like paramedics in the field, you're probably a little burnt out with that whole side of things, would you say? Yeah, a little bit. Um, but I was at a primary PSAP, so we did do all of it. 
But working the radio, I did prefer the PD side because mm-hmm. sometimes the supervisor would give us a choice okay. of what we wanted to be on that day. You know, I was always like PD, just put me <laughs> on the phone precinct, which was right. the busiest. And that's where I would prefer to stay. But Oh, man, that's awesome. So 18 years as a dispatcher, you know, a little bit of time in the field with EMS, now a licensed uh, professional counselor and PhD candidate. Props to you, man. PhD, like that. <laughs> I, I say all the time to my fiance, I'm like, I don't know who's going to piss me off enough for me to go get my PhD just so they can call me doctor at the end of the day. <laughs> but right. I mean, that's a, that's a heaping commitment, you know, PhD and dissertations. Um, what kind of made you... Uh, you know, go for that and and want to do that research, you know, on this topic of compassion fatigue and 911 dispatchers? Well, it's all a, like a combination of several factors that occurred throughout my career. Mm-hmm. One is my own issue with compassion fatigue and not knowing what it was because people didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I t- went to my first APCO when I first started and I went to one of the presentations on stress. And I was like, it has to be more than stress. This can't be just stress. So I started doing my own research and looking into what was going on because even the individuals that started in my own Academy, I started noticing changes. Like after the first year, everybody wasn't the same as they used to be when they first came in. And then I'm looking at the senior dispatchers that have been there for a very long time and wondering what was going on. Trainees would come and management would never let trainees sit with senior dispatchers because Mm -hmm. of their attitude. Mm. I'm like, okay, there has to be something with this. Yeah. Just be, that's how everybody is. Yeah. So after that, I created like a presentation because I really wanted to present it at Co. Mm. Because we have to talk about this. So I test did a little test run with my own agency. And the senior supervisors were like, yeah, okay, that's fine. But that's all part of the job. You Mm. just suck it up and continue. Mm. I said, that's it right there. That's what we're fighting against. Exactly. Is this mindset of it's just part of the job. You just suck it up and keep going. Mm-hmm. I said, that's where we get into trouble. I said, it doesn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. So I created this three hour presentation that I was doing at APCO at the time and various other places around the area talking about dispatchers and compassion fatigue. And so I was like, well, I know for me, I can't stay any longer. So I have to go back to school and the natural progression for me, because I became involved in mental health was to go on that side with counseling because I wanted to work with first responders and trauma. Yeah. And when I say first responders, I include dispatch. Mm-hmm. And then I was looking into research and that's how policy gets changed. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's through research. Yeah. And so 911 has been in existence for about 50 years. But yet the first research study that was actually published on dispatchers and PTSD wasn't even done until 2012. <laughs> Isn't that wild? You know what I mean? Like just just the fact that 
we as a society just assume 911 has been there forever. Like this, this thought that if I dial these three digits, someone's going to teleport and help me. Yes. But in reality, it's such a young service. You know what I mean? Like 50 years, that's crazy. 50 years and the research on dispatchers is severely lacking compared to mm-hmm. police, fire, and EMS. Yeah. About what they go through as a profession versus what we go through. But people can't get any of those without a dispatcher. Mm-hmm. But we just seem to be left out mm-hmm. of research and policy and advocacy in this area. So that was very important to me mm-hmm. is to do that research. And then that, that led me to the PhD thing. <laughs> Man, the PhD thing. I'm like, <laughs> I told my fiance, I'm like, if we're going to do it, we got to do it together. Cause we're going to need to support each other. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah. And then, so I married one, I married an officer, right? Of course, <laughs> you know, it happens. And I said, well, you know, if you want me to do this, you're going to have to pick up some off duty part-time dear. <laughs> That's true. Go out there now. <laughs> yep. I'll pack your lunch, sweetie. Don't worry. Here you go. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. that, that's awesome. And I and I mean it's I, I had never heard that before that the first, you know, research published research was 2012. I mean, that's you know, mm-hmm. I I I did a lot of schooling and I've lived in these, you know, uh, peer edited articles and stuff like that. And the, and just the fact that, you know, one of the reasons that I started this whole raspy dispatcher thing was because I had got my degrees in criminal justice and always knew I wanted to be in law enforcement, thought I was going to go patrol, you know, the, the classic story. Um, I got my master's in administration of justice as well. Um, and then I became a dispatcher and I was just like, you know, I just spent myself, a lot of schooling, a lot Mm -hmm. of papers, a lot of research on this field and not once. And I even look back through my old textbooks because I'm that person. I keep my old textbooks that are related to my field of study, blah, blah, blah. And um, not went to the index, no no D for dispatch, not not once. And it blew Mm -hmm. my mind when I really thought about all the things that dispatchers do and the amount of different things dispatchers do at each agency, mm-hmm. you know, especially cause I've lateral now I'm doing way different stuff than I was doing at my first agency. And it's just, it blows my mind that we're, we're often left out of these conversations so much. Yeah, definitely. We are. And I know Dispatchers are not seen. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in bunkers somewhere without windows. Oh, okay. Can we talk about the not window <laughs> thing? Because both of my agencies had windows, right? And so I posted a reel and was like looking out the window, like looking for my relief five minutes into shift, something like that. And all of my comments were like, you have windows? I can't believe you have windows. Windows must be nice. And I was just like, Okay, we we gotta bring us out of the dungeons, you know. Like, 
It's so true. That's such a thing. <laughs> One of the cities here just had a building just for them built and they have windows. I had to drive by and look at it to see what it looks like with windows. Oh my God. Like, is this real? <laughs> I know. It's like, wait, I'm in a bunker with carpet on the wall. <laughs> the wall, carpet wall thing. That's a, totally a thing too. My old agency, yeah. they said before they built the new like comm center or whatever, um, that their dispatch center had the wall carpet thing. I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> Something that's used 24, that's got to be dusty. I mean. <laughs> oh, it's bad. It is so bad. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so, so funny. Yeah, the window thing. I'm sorry. I probably cut you off with the window thing. I know. <laughs> you wanted to fit, but that was so, so real. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> Oh, and then night shift, we used to like it. The lights down, day shift would come in, bright lights, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's always freezing. And then we had spiders dropping from the ceilings. And wild. So, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's funny because I'm traditionally a graveyarder. I've worked graveyard majority of my career at this agency. Um, we switch every four months. So I got, and we're not allowed to sign up back to back to back so you eventually get bumped if you like graveyard you eventually have to work a day shift so last shift cycle i ended up working days because i got bumped onto it and then this shift cycle weekend off was available one day so i was like well i might as well just do it for eight months because i already had to do it so i got weekends off uh, but me and my partner we both got bumped on the days from graves and graves is traditionally what we are so even during the day, all the lights are off. All of our blinds are closed, unless it's a stormy day, which it's been stormy in California. That's when we open the windows. Yeah. And my lieutenant would walk in. He's like, I can't see anything. We're like, you can turn that light on. Make sure to turn it off on your way out. <laughs> They're like, it's a dungeon in here. I'm like, pull up a chair. We're, we're chilling in here. Yeah. <laughs> we, we fear the light. <laughs> that's great. We are dispatchers. Yeah, definitely do. But um, <laughs> yeah, we're not seen or heard often when it comes to research. So that's why it was important to me is to sort of come back to the research. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about um, compassion fatigue. Mm -hmm. um, it is definitely something I feel like it's um, something I'm hearing used more often the more I'm getting into these spaces so I would imagine it's something that uh folks who are just going to the work doing the job and not really branching out in these areas are hearing enough of mm -hmm. um because I'm just starting to hear about it and and I'm you know making all these connections and doing all these things and um but what is compassion fatigue specifically and how does it relate to us as dispatchers so the term actually compassion fatigue was coined as a phrase for the cost of caring. Mm -hmm. And it was created as a less stigmatizing word for secondary traumatic stress. Mm -hmm. like, here we go again with stigma surrounding mental health. Mm -hmm. But it is almost identical to PTSD, except for route of traumatization, mm -hmm. which is compassion fatigue for dispatchers. We're hearing it. We're listening to people's screams all the time. 
We're listening to the trauma that they are telling us. And then that's what we keep with us is their stories. So the trauma isn't actually happening directly to us, but we're listening to it. And dispatchers, what we do is we have, we all dispatch by worst case scenario rule. Mm -hmm. That's how we're trained. It's better Mm -hmm. to send too many units than not enough. Mm -hmm. But what we do is we create this picture of the scene in our mind. And then that's what we're left with. And Mm -hmm. our imagination is really great, really vivid. So usually what we create is a lot worse than the actual scene. Mm-hmm. but what we process is what we create. Mm. So that's what we're affects us. Mm-hmm. So with compassion fatigue, it's physical, emotional, behavioral. We start not wanting to answer 911 again, because we're afraid what's going to be on the other end of the line, mm. or we don't want to work the radio because we're might be anxiety about what type of calls are going to come in. Mm-hmm. difficulty sleeping which were shift work I mean how can you tell <laughs> that's true <laughs> but, you know it's a little worse than normal mm-hmm. or irritable angry it's like don't let the cable go off in my agency because everybody's going to start picking on each other mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's how it becomes and it's our coping skills become either non-existent or negative Maybe we drink a little more than we used to, Mm. or we eat more than we used to. You know, the freshman 20, like our first, (laughs) (laughs) you know, don't be surprised if you gain weight. And this is dispatch 30, you know? (laughs) Yes. Or you start having flashbacks of the call. You keep playing the call over and over again in your mind Mm. and you're hearing it over and over again, or even playing the tape back. Because you want to make sure that you didn't miss anything. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, isolation. Not doing the activities that we used to love to do. Because mm. you're just feeling overwhelmed with everything. Mm-hmm. Not going out. Not keeping up with your friends. Sometimes it's the way our pod system was in the radio room. I'd go way over in the corner with my back to everybody. So I didn't have to talk to anybody after a while because it was just, that was enough and decreased self care Mm. working all the time. And that coworker and I used to joke, Hey, what day are you on? I'm on day 34 without a day off. Yay. (laughs) No, that is not healthy. Yeah, totally. It's not. Yeah. The overtime money was great, but yeah, you know, it, but even with like, um, I've been hearing a lot on the, the real, the reels bringing out all, all the truths in this batch, um, lunch breaks, yeah. you know, oftentimes because of our staffing and our, um, our uh, situations that we have in our comm centers, people are not taking lunch breaks, um, mm-hmm. either because they're not wanting to, or there's a, a fear of not being in the room when the thing happens and, you know, like all of that, I mean, all that plays into our self-care. We have to be able to step away. I mean, whether to get air because we have no windows or, (laughs) or to just, you know, be able to use the restroom without worrying something's going to happen. You have to run back to your console. So 
No, that's true. It's or what we would do is we were so short um, sometimes that we would actually offer an hour overtime if they would not take their lunch break. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that also plays into it too. And you're right. It's because of staffing. When you take a traumatic call, you don't have, you don't step away. Mm -hmm. You either can't because of staffing or don't want to, because you don't want to miss what happens with that call. Mm -hmm. Or it's not even recognized, and you know you just do your job and answer the next nine one one call, mm -hmm. and not giving anybody chance to process it, which can have detrimental effects further down the line for the individual. Uh, it's that is just the stigma, yeah, associated with it is thinking that this call affected me. And it shouldn't because it's my job, which mm -hmm. is not true because we're human. Yeah. First. And some things do impact us. Mm -hmm. And I think adding on to that and, you know, for those who are doing this job, thinking about doing this job, um, it what's going to affect you is not going to necessarily sure. affect me. Um, so we should, we in leadership roles, especially, um, should acknowledge that. And if, if an employee dispatcher comes to you and says, X call really got me and I need a minute, like, and you listen to the call and you're like, I don't see what the big deal is. It doesn't matter. You know, exactly. like it affected them. Give them that space to give them that opportunity. Um, give them that support as well as it's not always um, the big one right? Like here yeah. in California, we're always waiting for the big earthquake. It's not always about the big, the big earthquake. It's all the little ones mm -hmm. that are causing the, the, causing the shakes. And then one hits and creates a big reaction for you. Um, so I think for folks who are doing this line of work and are just like, I haven't taken a big call or I haven't taken something that's just like, so, so, you know, traumatic or whatever like you've taken so many traumatic things you know on different levels different scales for everybody that they add up and i think mm -hmm. that's important for us to acknowledge and understand that if you're feeling it like it doesn't have to be this big 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 incident it can be a small one yeah absolutely true it can be cumulative mm -hmm. it can be years of small ones and it's just that one that you get where to where you really notice a difference in how you react to it. Mm -hmm. So true. Um, so we also mentioned a little bit um, in our pre-planning uh, about compassion satisfaction. Mm -hmm. What is that exactly? Compassion satisfaction is really growth by helping others. It's like we got into this profession because we like to help others. You know, it's not for the money or the shift work, but we really wanted to help other people. And that's what compassion satisfaction is, is getting back to where we can provide empathy again towards the individuals that we talk to mm -hmm. or having that enjoyment in our job. Mm -hmm. We enjoyed it at one point mm -hmm. when we began, right? Mm -hmm. So it's by self-care and really working through the compassion fatigue is where we get back to feeling satisfied again. Mm -hmm. 
and enjoying what we do. Yeah. And, you know, I, this matters, we can be a little dark. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's, let's be honest. You know, we take this really, really wild call and we're like, well, it's a Monday. Like, you know, <laughs> and this just, this, uh, and I think that definitely probably plays into our compassion and satisfaction. It's like, mm-hmm. we're, 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 in our core, we, we want to help folks. And, but if your, your thing's coming on the 11th hour of my shift, you know, you're calling me on my 11th hour. I spent 11 hours with folks who maybe aren't having emergencies or calling 911 or, um, you know, dumping on me about civil issues that really got nothing to do with us. You know, <laughs> it's kind of hard to have that. You know, my favorite civil issues are like the neighbor feuds. <laughs> They're like, Billy took my trash cans and moved them so he could park his car on the city street. <laughs> those, right. are, those, are, those are quite my favorite. But, you know, if I just spent 11 hours dealing with those things and then um, on the 12th hour, a, a legit, you know, emergency comes in, like, there's, there's, it's hard. It's hard to, to keep that level of help, response, uh, compassion uh, yeah. for that 12th hour call, right? Yeah, it really is. Um, you said that when it reminds me of the, you know, you didn't give me my crack. I want my money back. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. You know, I, uh, I worked in Sacramento for my first four years of my career. So we had a lot, it was wild out there. Right. <laughs> I remember getting one of those calls. I'd like to report a theft. You're like, Hey, what happened? I happened over here. Oh, what happened? Well, I gave him $20 for weed and he didn't give me, he gave me fake stuff or whatever. I'm like, you're wanting to report that your drug dealer didn't give you the right illegal right. drugs. Yes. <laughs> you tried to get him to get it. Like, you to, you want to report this to the police department? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll let her call for an officer to come talk to you. <laughs> and, and what's your name so I can run you by the time the officers right. get there? <laughs> First, last, date of birth. Oh, can you spell that? That's not common spelling. Spell it out so I get this right. <laughs> Right. I had a one of my funniest calls, and it pops up on my little video feeds all the time. I had an open line. I think it was like on New Year's because we were super busy, and this couple was in a was in an argument at four fifteen, and they were just they were going at it. They were having a lovers' quarrel, right? <laughs> and so I'm listening. They're in a four fifteen, so I can't hang up because they're technically in distress, right? And the guy goes. <laughs> Who's like, I don't know what you want me to do. I'd be stealing, yeah, but I don't steal from people. I steal from Target. That's a corporation. That's fine. <laughs> I was like, thank you, sir. You know, they got insurance, right? And he was right. like, that's a corporation. It's all good if I steal from them. I'm not stealing from people. <laughs> oh, I know the calls. <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's, it's wild. The things, the things that we hear and it's for me. And when we talk about like compassion, being compassion, um, satisfaction, I'm definitely, I think one of those dispatchers that kind of falls into the bubble 
Uh, you know, I've taken some wild calls, uh, mm-hmm. you know, working where I worked. Um, and even as my department, you know, we've experienced some really um, heavy stuff. And, but I have never felt personally that I took the big one for me, you know, mm-hmm. the, the big one. Um, and because of that, I, I have, uh, when like folks ask me about my job and things like that in my regular day to life, I, I feel like, oh, like it's, I'm good. It's all good. I haven't had that experience yet. Um, so in reality, I do have to tell myself and remind myself. And that's why I made sure to say it uh, a little earlier for folks listening that it is not the big one. It mm-hmm. is all the little ones that, that continue to happen to us up until this point and ongoing. Right. And it doesn't happen to everybody. Mm-hmm. There are all these other factors that come into play. And that's why self-care is very important. Mm-hmm. I know that we talk about it and, you know, that it's kind of like thrown around every once in a while, but mm-hmm. it is very important. Mm-hmm. And that's really my next question. Like I, I, you know, uh, it's becoming a bit of a buzzword, I would say, uh, for in some circles um, that we just hear a lot. Um, but what? Let's talk about self care and uh, what are your thoughts about it and how it really relates to us in the dispatch world. So self care, I didn't. So I was like, okay, yeah, I take care of myself. What? You know, I take my day off every 34 days. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I'll watch some TV. And I really didn't know what self-care was. Mm-hmm. Um, not intentional self-care, mm-hmm. which is what it really needs to be, ideally, is taking time for you. Because you can't take care of anybody else unless you take care of yourself first. I mean, there's a reason why they tell you on an airplane to put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Because you do it to somebody else, you both pass out. Hey, what good are you? (laughs) Not very much. So it's taking time for you to sort of unplug from dispatch for a while. Especially when you're starting to notice that you're not feeling like you used to. Mm. Or feeling like your old self, making it intentional. It doesn't have to be big or expensive. It could be just taking a walk Mm -hmm. or listening to music that you like. Anything to get your mind away from your day Mm -hmm. in the radio room. To sort of like recenter yourself and to have some fun. Mm -hmm. Because I think... I know in my agency, I had asked, so do you still have the same hobbies that you did before you started Dispatch? Hmm. Most people are like, no. Why not? Isn't that important to you? Wasn't it something that helped you feel good or hmm. happy or like they just don't? Hmm. So it's keeping those hobbies, doing things that we enjoy. Because hmm. when we have that satisfaction, then it can transition to the callers that we help. Mm-hmm. It's true. One, one thing that I would always say in my academy, um, because we had to test every week uh, to keep our job, uh, we had to test every week. And on test day, I would always come like super dressed up 
And my, my academy was like, what are you doing? Like, what is happening right now? I'm like, look good, feel good. <laughs> we're, we're here to keep our job today. I got to get an 8% on this test. Um, but, you know, like little things like that, like something so small, right? Um, mm -hmm. And when we're in a, in a, a state of um, tired and even depressed and, you know, overworked, I'm on day 34, heading into 35, you know, it's harder to do those little things that just kind of help our own bodies stay, you know, up to, up to par, up to our level of feel good. Right. That is true. Yeah, it is. It really is. And then in dispatch anyway, we do like the emotion code coping, which is adopted from the military. So if we do get a distressing call, we compartmentalize and kind of shove it, like shove it down in our brain. Mm -hmm. We don't want to think about it. But it'll come out eventually, and it usually comes out in a negative way, mm -hmm. which is where we start eating too much, or we're not sleeping right, or we're becoming irritable at our partner or family. Mm -hmm. And it's taking the time for the self-care so we can put our emotions sort of like back where they belong, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's shoved in little compartments in our brain. Mm-hmm. So what would be in your experience and your thoughts, how can someone really identify what self-care looks like for them? Because I would say like, if, like I had a, my trainer at my agency, uh, she loved to run. That, that woman was a 10 mile runner on the lunch break. And I was like, I can get maybe give you a mile. Maybe, you know, as a former collegiate athlete, I can maybe give you a mile. Um, I don't. So her self-care was, you know, 10 mile run on her 30 minute lunch break. Um, for me, I was like, I'm just not a mile for you. Um, so it, it all looks different for each and every one of us. Right. Um, so how what what are some ways maybe that you've used in your personal life or could suggest for someone to kind of figure out what that looks like for them? What it looks like is anything that brings you joy or happiness in that moment mm. to where you start feeling like you again and not the dispatcher. Mm. And I think in the, 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 in that moment phrase is excellent because it's, it can change, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it, yeah. It can really change. I know when I was a kid, I, re I read a lot. You know, I read a whole bunch. And then I went to school and I got over reading really, really fast. <laughs> I'm like, ah, you know, I've been reading these textbooks for years now. Uh, but now I'm finding the joy in reading again. Like I'm reading, you know, I'm knocking out books left and right again. Um, so I think as people... And in our, you know, our journey through our lives and the, the point we are, where we are, when we're there, like it's always going to look different and it's always going to be subject to change. Um, so I think being aware of that is also helpful. And because I can think I think it can be really frustrating trying to find our old selves, mm -hmm. you know. 20-year-old um, athlete Ashley who worked out four times a day is not right. doing the same sets in the gym as 32-year-old Ashley. <laughs> right. It used to be the gym. And then now it's sometimes it's like, for me, it's a cup of coffee. Mm. Just alone time. Yeah. With coffee. Okay. Just to breathe. 
not think about school or anything else. Mm-hmm. It's just that time just to be still. Yeah. And I mean, even um, this week, um, I would say this week wasn't a terribly busy week for me at my agency. Trauma-wise, I mean, we're busy because of the weather here in California. It rains, it pours, it seems. Um, and I remember my my fiance was like telling me about this story about her work and things like that. And it was taking for ever <laughs> to get to the the main plot <laughs> and i was like for 20 minutes i could fill it in my chest like oh my god we need to move faster you know like i've spent you know two days listening to people yelling at me about floods and rain and storm drains and da, 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 da. and um like i just like i'm here for you baby but i need <laughs> and i even told her i was like hey i need you to move a little faster you're losing me <laughs> But, but these things happen for us, right? Yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, they do. But no, self-care doesn't have to be anything big or extremely involved. It can be just something really small. Yeah. So, so, so true. So you mentioned a little bit um, about your your mental health journey, you know, early mm-hmm. in your career when um, you were feeling the impacts of this job. Mm-hmm. Um, and for folks who are listening, who might be at that place in their journey, um, what is something you can suggest for them to kind of take that initial step to getting some kind of assistance with managing what they're feeling because of the line of work that we're doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, so always put a disclaimer, if you're experiencing a mental health crisis, you know, seek help, uh, whether it's going to your local emergency room or seeking therapy. But if you're just starting to notice that you're not yourself and you wanted to either talk to somebody through mental health, um, which I would highly recommend, even therapists have therapists. We do. (laughs) I think awareness too, noticing changes in yourself you know, what is there something that I can do, mm-hmm. whether it's increasing my self-care? Mm-hmm. Is there a goal that I want to work on? Because goals help a lot. It gives us a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. Is there training in my radio room that I want to do that I haven't been able to do yet? You know, sign up for that. Mm-hmm. Or if my agency won't, maybe it's something I can do on my own. Mm-hmm. And seeking mental health treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, I would suggest that if you do seek mental health treatment with a therapist, make sure they are trained in trauma. Mm-hmm. So they have an understanding of what we do because mm-hmm. as a therapist, not all therapists know. It's not something that we are even trained in. It has to be a specialty training mm-hmm. or talking about it. Getting that peer support too is very huge mm-hmm. because who else knows what we do? other dispatchers mm-hmm. that's true and and for folks who are out there who's like i've tried therapy hated it you know there's there every therapist is not for every person so it's so definitely true. like it's it's like swiping on a dating app you might have to might have to go out with a few therapists before you find the one that's the best fit for you so if you have 
went out and tried therapy with a therapist and was like, this wasn't it for me. Don't be afraid or nervous to go back out there and, and try again, because it does take a little, um, a little search and to find the right fit. Now that is true. And we know as therapists, we know that it has to be a fit mm -hmm. and it's, commonplace to have your clients say, you know, this is not working or just not show up, which is something that we understand because we know that there has to be a connection. Mm -hmm. And you're, that's why I would recommend seeking therapy with a therapist who's trained in trauma mm -hmm. because it's kind of a different modality than if they are just treating anxiety. True. So, so, so true. Well, as we wrap this up here, I'm going to ask you um, the question I tend to ask everybody is what advice would you give someone considering a career as a dispatcher? As a dispatcher, um, don't forget about yourself in the process. Like that. Because we become involved with our agency and we're working, you know, the double shifts and the overtime and we start watching every CSI that's ever made. <laughs> and it's, you know, not forgetting about you. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming out and joining me today. I've, I've learned a lot um, and I really appreciate it. Is there... Um, any place that folks could connect with you if they want to learn more um, about your research, what you're doing, and how they can bring it into their comm centers? Is there somewhere they can reach out and uh, connect with you? Uh, I have email. I'm getting ready to start my research study. I'm just waiting for final approval from the university. Awesome. But as soon as I get that, I'm going to be sending out invitations through email hey. to various radio <laughs> But yeah, always email if you have any questions. Um, you may get that to you now, or you can post it. Oh, I'll post it. We can we okay. can uh, post it in the in the comments. Um, so if you do want to reach Angela and have any questions on, um, you know her her almost uh, starting research and the things that she's going to be learning, or <clears throat> you want to be a part of her research, um, depending on how she sets up gathering all this information, uh, maybe your comm center can join and be a part of the new trend of doing research in dispatch centers, it seems, uh, which would be awesome. Um, I'll include Angela's contact information in the information of this video um, of this episode. So anybody can reach out to her um, if they do wish to do so. Sounds great. And it's completely anonymous. Let's just throw that in there. There's no agency name. Right. We love an anon situation, right? <laughs> I, want, I love a caller. I want to be unanimous. I know. Unanimous. <laughs> I'm a concerned citizen. <laughs> oh, that gets, oh, that one gets me. I'm like, mm, let me look at this history. Who is Bill? <laughs> Bill's at you? <laughs> oh, hey. <laughs> You call once a week. You are not anonymous, sir. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that is it for today. Thank you again, Angela, so much. And I'll be right back with you. Okay, thank you. All right, everybody. That was our episode again. Angela, thank you so much for coming on with me today. Talking about compassion fatigue and compassion satisfaction. Um, in the new year, you know, remember to take care of yourselves. Um, Understand that it doesn't have to be the big, 
the big thing that, um, you know, makes us feel a little less uh, like ourselves. Um, it could be a lot of little things. Um, and like Angela said, if you are needing immediate um, assistance and help with a mental health crisis, uh, please head to a hospital, call a hotline, uh, call 911 if necessary, um, and continue to seek help, seek self-care. And as Angela said, even the therapists have therapists, so there is nothing wrong with wanting to talk to somebody and to connect with somebody about the ongoing traumas and things that we experience in this line of work. Um, with that being said, of course, like, follow, subscribe, tell a friend. Um, it's going to be a heck of a year here at the Raspberry Dispatcher, so I can't wait to get to it. Until next time, stay raspy, everybody. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Let's Talk Dispatch. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube at the Raspy Dispatcher. Follow us on Instagram and check out Let's Talk Dispatch anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'll see you next time and stay raspy. Ah, we did it. (laughs) That was so fun. That was fun. I was like, oh, please let my internet stay today. Let it <laughs> No, I think it came through great. I think, I don't think I noticed any, uh, any lapses. So I think it, it went really well. <laughs> I did. That was fun. Thank oh, you for awesome. having me on the show though. Yeah, of course. And any, any way I can help with, um, you know, your research or um, any connections I could give you. Um I know I'm pretty close with first responder wellness um, and uh, Casey and um, maybe Ryan and Jim Marshall over at the 911 Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, if that could be helpful making those connections for you, like, please let me know and I can shoot an email and, and get that going for you in your, in your studies. Oh, that would be great. Especially 911 Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that would be really great. Oh, so did you want me to the email? for contact. Yes. What is that? Uh, it's a John. A John. Two zero nine. Two zero nine. At ODU. ODU. Dot edu. Dot edu. Yep. Okay. Perfect. I'll include that in there. Um, and then, yeah, I can definitely uh, send an intro email. Um, to 911 Institute. Yeah, I'm just surprised at just the lack of inclusion. It's like, what is wrong with you people? It's wild. It it really is. It is one of those things that really astonished me um, about this line of work. Especially, like I said, like, officer ain't getting no help if they don't talk to me first. So whether an officer sees something, they're saying something to me. If a caller says something, they're saying something to me. I am consistent in this response. Um, Whereas the officer only gets added when I add them. So um, it's definitely a crazy reality. But I do feel we are, it's a good time to be dispatchers and working in this field because I do think we're coming more and more and more to the forefront. Yeah, I do too. So in California, are y'all included as public safety? Uh, we are. We are first responders oh, yeah. as of ooh, two years ago. Oh, see, we're we, not. You guys aren't out there? Nope. And, you, and that surprised me, too. I feel like only 
God, I looked at it the other day. 20? 20 maybe? States have pushed it through? Some, a very small number. Yeah. Um, and it's just wild that that fight's still going on it as well. I mean, I thought it was crazy that it was so recent here, you know? Um, but it's, it's it's crazy. It really, really, really is. Yeah, we're still having that fight, and we're still having the fight of getting CISM to include dispatchers in peer support. Mm. So even after all this time. Yeah, I think we just passed a bill here that uh, pushed dispatchers into a new bracket where they could have an easier time receiving those like PTSD uh, benefits and things like that. So, mm -hmm. I mean, we're slowly, slowly making our way, oh, wow. uh, way to the right area. But I, the fact that it's the, the fight's still going on for something so basic as peer support. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, I know. You know, like I listened to her get beat up while you guys are driving there for 10 minutes. Like I, I need to be in these, debriefings and these conversations and um you know i i've been lucky to be at departments who included us um early so unlike other dispatchers i haven't experienced being left out mm -hmm. um essentially but i know it's a reality i know it's a reality that a lot of dispatchers face yeah no my agency we weren't we were one time and then the officers blamed the dispatchers so we were never included again wow yeah so yeah, that's the answer to the problem. I blame the dispatcher, so let's not talk to them anymore so we can improve. Like, <laughs> what? So we still have some work to do over here on this on this side. Yeah. Uh, hey, but, you know, I think the right people are, are working on it over there with you. So, you know, hopefully, and again, any way I can help, I, I, am, I am available. So thank you so much to reach out. Yeah. If you have any questions about anything, just don't hesitate. I'm here. Awesome. I appreciate you. I will send an email with all the links, details, when it's going to post, things of that nature. Uh, hopefully the next week or so. Okay. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks, Angela. Have a good day. Yeah. You too. All right. Bye-bye.